Okay. Uh, this, is an ex- this is a little bit of an experiment. This is Mike Birbiglia, and uh, I have a new tour, and it's called The New One. I'm going to like 50 cities. I'm really thrilled about it. I had this idea, like, why don't I take my five albums and have one episode for each where I discuss it with, like, an old friend? This episode is John Mulaney. One is with Judd Apatow. One is with my brother Joe. One's with Pete Holmes. One's with my wife Jen. And... Um, and I thought it would be really fun. And I, I think you guys will really enjoy it. Welcome to The Old Ones. I'm here with comedian John Mulaney, one of the Americas and the world's great comedians, one of my favorites, and a longtime friend. We've been working together for a zillion years. I've never not done comedy with you involved. <laughs> I've never, I know, yes, you got me started in comedy, so I've never done comedy without you. Wow. I get, yeah, I was looking back at some of those dates. What but were before do- that, college. Oh, yeah. I, I don't mean to you, derail your I intro. Knew, I knew you There's never sense. been a time that I've been even oh close to a comedian and not known you. And so you and I have known each other so long to that— 2000, I'd say, right? Well, I graduated in 2000. I came back. I started to do a, at Georgetown yes. in 2000. And I came okay. back to do a workshop mm-hmm. with Nick Kroll's improv group. He was a senior and the director of the improv group. And I was a freshman and he had just cast me. So when he was a freshman, we were in the Funniest Person on Campus contest together. That's how we met. Right. And he always tells the story told on Conan about how he sort of miserably lost this thing by by planting a fake, like, peeing mechanism in yes, his pants. Yes, his plan for his act was he was going to have a balloon in his pants <laughs> filled with water, and he was going to be doing stand-up, and he was going to prick the balloon with a pin, and then he'd slowly pee his pants. Which is somehow so Nick still. Absolutely. Like, it, like I could imagine him doing that Except tomorrow. Now he'd, now he'd buy a balloon, or he'd have someone buy a balloon. He'd have him. the best balloon guy in the business. Yes. He'd, he'd like, have, I'm not buying balloons myself. He'd have a peeing specialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd have a balloon specialist, yeah. and it would go off without a hitch, and it would be viral. Yeah. Back then, Back he, was then the old, he was a one-man show. And, and not a full man yet. Still a developing brain, a young man, yeah. and, and smoked pot every day. <laughs> and he didn't do very well. Well, he didn't get a balloon. He forgot to buy a balloon, he forgot to get water, and he forgot to get a pin, and he almost forgot about the show. Okay, yeah. So then he had a— he had a, I didn't know about he almost forgot about the show. He was super high, and he got a uh, either like a Ziploc bag or possibly like a Lay's potato chip bag, filled it with water, yeah. had it in his pocket, grabbed a Bic pen. <laughs> like, he really—he took an idea that was— Maybe wouldn't have worked even with a pin and a balloon. Oh, my And he MacGyvered God. it down to a point where— I mean, it's such a stoner version of comedy. Yeah. Which is like big plans, Yep. no uh, system to make it work. I feel like that was comedy from age 18 to 24, 25. Yeah. No, I get that. Big I, plans. Big and, plans, no uh, mechanism. Yeah, self-sabotage. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, but, but then humbled. I, but then I came to visit— I graduated in 2000. Nick asked me to come back and do a workshop with with you guys, your group, and you were a freshman. You'd been cast as a freshman. Um, yeah. And he said to me, there's this guy, John Mulaney. This is, this is an, an, an introduction of all introductions. There's this guy, John Mulaney. He is funnier than all of us. And I, of course, said, speak for yourself. 
Uh, but, yeah, but, absolutely. That's very <laughs> nice of him. To, well, it's a defensive nice stance. You're just like, uh, I don't know this person, and he's funnier one, than yeah. me. One, just tell me there's a guy. First off, that's new information. <laughs> right. Suddenly, I never heard of him. I never heard of this guy. There's a guy, and I now have to worry about him, or yeah. I don't even have to worry. No, he's I know. It's the no. It's a strange thing to be introduced to someone as you're going to have to worry about this guy. You're going to have to worry about. Keep this tabs guy. on this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a mafia introduction. Uh, it's yeah. Like, if you don't watch your back, this guy's gonna. Yeah. It's like that's Tommy Tic Tacs. Keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on him. Yeah. <laughs> he's a good earner. That's good. Nah, not for you. Oh, okay. Well, should we kill him in a brown car? Yeah. I was thinking about how today, about when I was listening to this album, and I haven't listened to it in years. But, I mean, this this album, Two Drink Mike, was recorded October 18th, 2005. That's 12 years ago. 2005? Uh, yes, and it was released February 7th, 2006. And, cover uh, art taken by Mike Birbiglia. Yeah, I took, a, I took that photo in Reno. They Re- didn't at, want that to be the cover. At a laundromat in Reno. You had to fight for that, I remember. Yeah, it's a selfie. Yes. It was before selfies were in vogue, and I was taking photos in a laundromat. And then it occurred to me that that's, um, in some ways, a great metaphor for this album. I, I was thinking if I renamed the album right now, it would be Portrait of an Artist as a Lonely Young Man. When I was listening to the album, I was like, what a sad 25-year-old man this was who didn't have any idea what he was doing. He had no idea what he wanted to say. But he knew that he wanted to make jokes, and he wanted to travel the country and see the world and meet people and be funny. I think you knew what you wanted to say. You had to start micro. Mm-hmm. But you wanted to talk about macro things. That Every joke is that. Like, it's <laughs> yes. a joke about MTV Cribs, but it's not. It's a joke about human loneliness and why people like you and if they really like you. You know, but I, it, I, I, but I bet on your set list it said MTV Cribs. Or, and I bet it, it might have even come out of a joke of other MTV shows and you cut all those parts and just did Cribs. I was watching the show Cribs on MTV. The rappers will like show you their house. This rapper's like, this is my crib, this is my ride, these are my hoes. I am rolling. But I want to see when the cameras leave and the rapper's like, but I'm dying inside. <laughs> Sure, these hoes are fun, but at a certain point in a man's life, he wants love. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and my snakeskin comforter, and I think I wonder whether any of these people would still be my friends if I were still a backup dancer. I, uh... <laughs> I love this rap. Jay-Z, this rapper I love because uh, he's so good at rapping. Sometimes he doesn't even rhyme. He'll just end the lines with Izza. That's great, man. He'll be like, I went down the street and I saw my scissor. Was it to my nuzzer and my brother and my gizza? I'm like, I'm pretty sure none of those are words. I ain't playing Scrabble with Jay-Z anytime soon. The word is drizza, D-R-I-Z-Z-A-H, triple word. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna challenge that one, Jay. I'm gonna consult my diction as a... First of all, it's not a word. Second of all, one of your Z's is a sideways hand. I like Buster Rhymes, because he'll have a good rhyme. He'll just say his name afterwards. He'll be like, Cat in the Hat, and that was that. Buster Rhymes! 
I'd like to do that with jokes. Like, I like drinking coffee, but if I ever reach a point in my life where the best part of waking up is Folgers in my cup, I'm not sure I want to wake up. Mike Birbiglia. The thing about listening to an old album, especially of your own, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's like looking through a photo album where you just go, oh, God. And then some of them you're like, oh, everyone looks nice and That's happy. Funny. What a great time. But you don't, you probably remember less of it because you have to like store your memories some ways. The album has sort of a mosaic quality, or as I put it, like it's all over the place. Like it's just like, and, yes. this, and this idea, and this idea too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then this other thing. Yeah, but they're all similar. Yeah. In a good way, I mean. Well, I, it's funny. I, I don't, you don't belong. Yeah, yeah, and, sure, sure. Uh, Alienation, feeling, yeah. feeling alone, feeling like when you date people, it's terrible. But what I like is it's like, actually, you don't loathe yourself. You like your interests and you like your personality. You just recognize that it yields a lower number of potential romantic partners. That's oh, how I took it. That's a, very, that's a very succinct way to put it. You like the way you roll. In it, you like right. you like wildlife shows. I, I like that I sit in hotel and rooms and yes, watch wildlife exactly. shows exactly. And, and play guitar. I'm always in these hotels, and I always watch a lot of television. I always watch these nature documentaries. I always feel bad for the smaller animals because I feel like I know more stuff than they do. Like I feel like I'm at a bank heist and I'm the guy in the van watching on the monitor, and they're like, "The Arctic fox has only one known predator, the polar bear," and I'm like, "Arctic fox is a setup. Get out of there." <laughs> Cracker, please, to Arctic Fox. Cracker, please, to Arctic Fox. Put down the salmon and walk out of the building. (laughs) This year I got to go to Alaska. It's weird because there's a lot of bears in Alaska and there's so many that they give you pamphlets just in case you get attacked by a bear and they tell you to play dead and that seems like a real gamble. There's like a bear clawing you in the head. And you gotta be like, yeah, I think this plan's working out. Sure, I'm getting clawed in the head now, but I gotta be thinking long term. Just a few more minutes. That's a lot of blood. Bear's like, he doesn't think I think he's dead, does he? Probably read the pamphlet. And it's so scary, you know, when you're in these places, because with the different bears, you got to know the different strategies. With brown bears, you got to play dead. And black bears, you got to run down a hill. And polar bears, you got to hand them sunglasses and a Coke. And it's like so, it's like school, you know? It's like bear school. I don't know if you remember this, but the polar bear tag in that joke, you wrote for me. That's mine? Dude, oh my god, not only I laughed. Is it, not only here's is it, how here's how egotistical I am. I laughed so loud at that in my apartment today. I was like, oh, that's great. Sunglasses that's in a coat. Ridiculous. That's really funny. Years later, you were writing for Saturday Night Live and you called me and you go, Hey, sunglasses and a coke with a polar bear. Did that make it on the album? That's because called I'm burning. Gonna, that's I'm called... going to do a bit. Unless, if if not, I'm going to put it on the show or put right yeah, in. Yeah, it's going to be in a bit. And people bash SNL for the stealing stuff all the time, which I do not. I find those attacks to be mostly unfounded. Um, obviously, there's yeah. the stories like Jay Moore in the '90s and this and that. But like, 
I find that my friends like you who've written for SNL are so nerdy about not stealing jokes. Yeah. In that instance, you're calling me to be like, I remember this joke, and I just want to make sure that I didn't, this isn't on an album of yours, so that if I do it, it's not taking away from what you did. Yeah, I think I wanted it for like a Stefan or something. Oh, okay. You know, like I was just, that's that was at a point in the week when you'd be burning the furniture, uh, as Lorne Michaels would say. <laughs> I said, there was something we were going to do, and I said, well, I'm saving that for... February when so-and-so hosts. Oh, my gosh. And he looked at me and he said, sometimes you have to burn the furniture. <laughs> oh, my God, is that funny? Yeah. Sometimes you have to burn the furniture. So it's I would, such a great I'd line. Call people, I'd oh call people God. like you. I'd call people that I'd written with at uh, Important Things with Dimitri Martin. I'd call Nick. I'd call anyone and be like, I did this make it. Did is this somewhere where— Oh, my god! Is this somewhere, which was another way of saying, can I have it back? We're talking partly because you introduced me on the album. Please welcome Mike Berbiglia. I hate my introduction. Please put your hands together for Mr. Mike Berbiglia, everybody. Well, I like your introduction. I appreciate you doing it. I uh, sound so different, and I sound so much older back then because I smoked cigarettes every day. Oh my gosh, all day that's long. so funny. And I, I had a, I had a sinus you. infection for like 15 years, and I don't think I knew about it. And it, uh, so I hear that of like, please welcome Mike Berbiglia. <laughs> and oh then I gosh. say everybody, and I hate that I say everybody. I think the Mike Berbiglia, everybody. Uh, Why everybody? Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Berbiglia. That should be the Agreed. Thing. And then also, <laughs> no, no, no. Agreed that, I'm not saying critical of you. I'm saying of, of on course, all comedy, finally. no, on all comedy albums, there should either be no introduction or there should be a brief Please welcome Mike Perbiglia. The thing that kills me is the ending, where what? one more time, John comes back on. One more time Oy, for Mike Perbiglia. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? You're going to come— Why did the, I come the, back up? No, that's a convention of, of American stand-up comedy clubs, and it drives me nuts, is the host of the show, the least qualified comedian on the show, returns to the stage, and they say, hey, guys, Footnote, you know, on. give it up. For, give it up for Mike Birbiglia one more one time. time. You, that's not good enough. I swear to God, what kills me is when comedians come oh, on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The MC comes on after an hour of comedy that someone has honed over years and years and years. Not and they always. Get, and not always. <laughs> Sometimes you actually do need to say, come on, God damn it, keep it going. And, uh, Keith Robinson. Keith Robinson at the Comedy <laughs> Cellar always says, clap, clap, damn it. Keep it going, keep God Keep it going, God damn it. I remember I was waiting in the hallway with a towel at the cellar, and he goes, I don't need the God damn it. So, clap, damn it. But, but I, I hope comedy club owners listening to this across America, please, 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 and I've been doing this on my tour when I'm preparing the new one tour in clubs, is get rid of the hosts coming out at the end. Oh, when yeah. when the when the headlining comedian ends their set, please do this. Please, you you have the lights come up. They say thank you. The headliner says thank you. They exit. I sound like Todd Glass. Like I'm instructing. Oh my I'm god, in, you are. I'm and I like little candles. <laughs> I told him turn down the lights. Just make it nice. Turn down the lights a little. Is that so much to ask to have them do it? No one's arguing with him. <laughs> To put out and have little drinks. By the way, this album was recorded in Washington, D.C. at the D.C. Improv, where I started off in college as a door person. And uh, it's a great club, first of all. Fantastic. One of the great American comedy clubs. I was so lucky because when I came, when I was working the door, 
I would get to fill in for the MCs. Like it would be That's crazy. Yeah. So 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 like if an MC couldn't show up or a feature couldn't show up, I'd be working the door. And they'd say, Mike, we need you to go on. I'd throw a sweater on over my DC improv t shirt. And uh, and I'd go on stage and it would be, you know, I'd be opening for George Lopez, Margaret Cho, Dave Attell, Kathleen, yeah. Kathleen Madigan, Brian Regan, Jake Johansson. These are like the great comedians. And I would, uh, Pablo Francisco, I would ask them all annoying questions. Yeah. I would annoy the shit out of them. Yeah. What I find about advice is that. Um, if no matter how big someone is or how small they are, uh, if you ask someone advice, they'll answer about one question. Do you remember any of those specifically? George Lopez had one that stuck with me forever. And I told him this recently. He and I did a benefit for the Natural Resources uh, Defense Council, NRDC, which is a great organization. And I said, I said to him, I go, you told me this advice. You wouldn't remember it. I was 20 years old and I opened for you. And I had done a joke about Oprah. Uh-huh. And, or I had done a series of jokes, but I said, well, do you have any advice for my act? And he goes, he goes, you're making fun of Oprah. And they like Oprah more than you. Oh, wow. They don't know who you are. Yeah. They love Oprah. Right. So make fun of yourself before you make fun of other people. Yeah. And that emblazoned in like my soul you. forever. Funny. That's interesting. You're over that. But on the album, I can hear you want to make sure they don't dislike you. Oh, you which, mean on the album which, you think I, I have a hint of that? Sure. I think that people have that for years and years and years and years and years. Like, that. it's just the, like, what I thought was, I go, all these jokes are amazing. You could still do versions of them today. They'd still be organic to your brain. But what's different is that the way you and anyone at this stage in your shoes would approach the audience, which is like, do you know who Jay-Z is? Now yeah. may I continue? Sure. You and sure. I were talking the other day about Rory Scovel's... Oh, uh, so funny. Netflix Funniest special. special in the world. It's called My First Time Doing Stand-Up. Rory Scovel, try stand-up for, stand for the first time. Try stand-up for the first time. And good. he has that joke, that bit about the guy with the scratchy voice in the OJ, in the OJ documentary. documentary. Yeah. And it's, he doesn't... And I'm... And I'm Literally, still, I tell people who Jay Z is. By the, I'm like, by the, can we just please. relish it for a second? He does the voice of this guy, yeah, in the OG jacket, and he goes, and he goes, "How about that guy?" And he does not even walk you there. He goes, no. "How about the?" He goes, "That OJ documentary <laughs> that was amazing. How about the guy with the scratchy voice?" Yeah. And then he just does it. He just goes, "I think." I, I think, think the, OJ. Well, it's I'm, I'm sorry, Roy. I think Ron and Nicole killed OJ. <laughs> I think Ron and Nicole. Like, I think he goes. I think Ron killed Nicole. And Nicole killed OJ. <laughs> and then he goes. I, I don't so know. He goes. Down. I don't know. I haven't seen OJ in like forty years. <laughs> and then I think Rory tags it with the documentarians. Like you know, none of this is usable. Oh my god. <laughs> and then he goes. And then he goes. He goes. I think. He goes. <laughs> Because even growing up, we were like, OJ, why are you killing all these people? <laughs> and you're right. You're right. It does. He never says, like, have you seen this documentary? He doesn't waste time on, like, don't worry about it. Like, he's like, yeah. in the OJ documentary, there's this dude, and he just goes into it. It's such a professional move. How about that guy? And, you know, oh like, you don't have to know what things are. But... 
you do also have to explain premises at the same time. Oh, yeah, of course. So that's an excellent example of a joke that's just that just sings, even if you had never seen the documentary. But, uh, and you helped me with this a lot, which is I had such over-explanations of things to set up a joke. And then the punchline would be pretty good, but it had taken so long to get there with so much uh, setup that it was like, Jesus, that's the punchline after reading us the dictionary to get here? That's what I always tell young comics when they ask for advice is I go type out the transcript of your joke and then cut words. So if you you write the transcript of a joke and it's 40 words— Let's hear the 15-word version. Yes. And if, and and I, if they and laugh if anyone's still listening at the punchline, yeah, then try your that. premise is clear. I had a joke where I said, I think that's weird, and here's why. And then I would do the, the, the punchlines, and you would uh, appropriately make fun of it. When I'd walk off stage, you'd go, and here's why. Oh, really, you go, you don't need to say, we know you're about to tell us why, you don't need to say, and here's why. And it was, it was absolutely true. It was like, I think of, my jokes were like, I think about this a lot. You know, we all like movies, but I think about them this way. And here's the way I think about them. And then I'd have like a <laughs> B punchline and they'd be like, Jesus, man. A lot of ramp up. Yeah. You could have just really gone like, that yeah, up. you could have just been like, how about Fifth Element, that yeah, movie? Yeah. Exactly. I remember I gave you a piece of advice that was, that was, I would never have said to anyone who Don't was... Don't be an alcoholic. <laughs> oh, my God. How old were you? 24, 23 when the, you were out on those, uh, those the dates? Fir- 23 the first time I opened. I wouldn't have said this to someone who wasn't this 22 young. 22 the first time I opened for you. I just go... I, I, I was just like, you got to be better. Yes. It was so scary, but good. <laughs> it was as, like... Yes, it was and so— And I wasn't saying it like you're not going to be better. I was like— No, no, no. you got to be better fast or else I can't take you out yep. because I have to apologize for you. Yep, I remember that very, very well. Very, very well. Every time great. I take you to a—like, cl- I was basically saying, like, every time I take you to a club and you're not as good as the feature they had last week or the opening act, yeah. they're like, what's going on no, with, no, it was with also Mike Graviglia? And then I'd be like, it's on me. I think it that that's good to know that it's— it's that it's like it's fucking up someone else's like flow a little. Yeah. Because you know you know you're when you when I started I knew I wasn't good enough, but I was like I'll get there. You know. So I was very self forgiving. Yeah. But to hear like you might derail the show was so scary, and I thought for the beginning of our first tour together I thought I was going to get kicked off. I remember we did a club in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I could basically bring anyone. Right. No matter how inexperienced they were. And I could see from us spending time together, and you had punched up jokes for me, and we had spent time together in New York socially. I was like, John's gonna be really good as a comedian. So I can just bring him based on he's gonna be good. And then you were, you had, that was a rough week. That was a rough weekend. That was the first time I ever did stand up outside of, eh, I don't even count the times during college. Let's say um, outside of like small places in New York City, and even then it was like, okay, you have potential, maybe. Mm-hmm. But and and I thought I did too. But nothing was like on fire anywhere. Not even in the most niche of yeah. rooms, right? And then I went to Cedar Rapids, and it was a uh, it was the it was a very good experience because it was pa- painful. 
And I don't mean like I didn't know, I didn't have jokes they liked. I like did not know how to tell jokes. And I compl- I totally learned that weekend. No, I didn't learn yet. I, I, I was the, that was like part one of a 10 part realization period that like my jokes made no sense, but they had funny ideas in them. Also, I had a, a shirt from a thrift store I had bought that was a Shell gas station shirt. And I wore it to host because it was like, you know, that was like what you... Sure. Because I was like 23, so I wore any shirt I had, right? Yeah. So then uh, I got off stage and I had done like horribly. <laughs> and uh, you even said like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> and uh, one of the waitresses was like, why didn't you do any of the gas station jokes? And oh I was like, my what? God. And she was like, oh, I thought you were going to do a gas station character. Oh, that's great. And I was like, oh, no, in in uh, in Brooklyn, right. uh, it's little, ironic. little pieces of shit like me buy these uh, uniforms that yeah. hardworking uh, men would wear. Yeah. And we wear them as a it's, a, it's a joke. And it's to look cute. Wow. And then I literally drank more beer that night than I was paid. Like in the Blues Brothers or some shit. Yes. I had five beers and they were like, oh you God. only got two beers for free, so you owe us for three beers. <laughs> and it was enough that with comedy club prices, the money I had made for opening for you for the first night. Which I, I think spent. was probably $35 or probably, something Probably, like which yeah. is about $35 more than I should have gotten yeah. for what I did. It was more like a, a person got up on stage. Yeah. And I think they were even like, this is Mike's friend. <laughs> and then, like, you know, here to give us a speech, his thoughts. Oh, my God. Here with a non-comedic speech. Oh, my God. <laughs> here with a non-comedic speech? Yeah. But I actually would immediately walk that back and say, you got so good so fast. I would say almost by our third week together, you were as good as any host or, or, or feature they had that, that year. I really do. I think you got so good so fast. I got good because of the advice about treat it like it's your show. Yeah. You told me that the MC, this was so smart of you. You said the MC, it's his show. Think about it. Yeah. You're bringing everyone up. You're welcoming the crowd. You have to treat it that way, like it's your show. You're the first I'm person gonna bring they up, see. You're the first person they see. They have see. no point you of reference them. for what they're exactly. watching. Exactly. That helped tremendously. Because yeah. then it was just like showman time. And just like, it was just a thing like, act like this. Like you're running it. Then... When I was, uh, the first time I ever headlined in 2008 uh, at the Houston Laugh Stop, I called you because I was so nervous. And you said, you have to, it, you said, it's your show. Uh, it's the headliner's show. So just act like it. And I said, I thought it was the MC's show. And you said, no, no, I was lying. It's not the MC's show at all. That's absurd. <laughs> the MC is nobody. <laughs> but then I remember like in Columbia, Missouri, they had an MC and I had to feature and they told me to do 20 minutes. And I had seven minutes. But oh, wow. what I really had was three minutes. <laughs> and also I had zero minutes. <laughs> and it was like whisper quiet. It's amazing I did the whole set. Oh my it's God. amazing I didn't go, oh, I'm going to do like 11 and bring you right up. I remember that. Yeah. I desperately, desperately tried to learn about the Mizzou like football uh, yes. record that year <clears throat> and throw in a joke about their coach and I think I mispronounced the coach's name it was everything you wanted it to that's be that's what you always do when you have early in my career you know you have no material and so you you go to the mall in yep. their town and you write 10 minutes about it Yeah, because you're supposed to fill 45 minutes but you only really have 35 minutes of material so you're yep. like I'm gonna go write 10 jokes about Build-A-Bear and Orange Julius I had Build-A-Bear stuff yeah, yeah, me too. Because of, it was in the Columbus <laughs> Funny did. but I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, it actually, and, and as we should have, 
You know, if you can't identify that a store where you get to build your own teddy bear is something, <laughs> I mean, really, you should have your license revoked. Yeah, but you got you got good fast, and then we went on the Media Man on Campus tour, which was like a lot. You know, a lot of it was theaters. You really yeah. Like well, a, that was I think when like the a, you gotta be good speech yeah. came was before that. There were two legs to it. There was like a slow trickle, and then there was the 30 to 35 days on a bus straight. Oh, yeah, we lived on a bus. I remember that because we videoed a lot of it. At some point, I'll sort of unbury some of that footage. But it's like, I remember you and I sitting at a cafe and in Berkeley. Yes. And talking about how we were so strung out on coffee and cigarettes. Yeah. That we were, you know— skeletons of people, I think just took, shells of people. Either you took a photo of me or something, but I, there's some photo exists from there and like, yeah, so sunken and like gray. I remember one night, I believe it's on Hip Hop Animosity, you were doing, uh, saying your name at the end. Oh of yeah, the Buster Rhymes, Mike yeah. Birbiglia. Yeah, Mike yeah, Birbiglia. Yeah. And you said, I'd like to do that. And it was the cat in the hat and that was that, Buster Rhymes. Yeah. And you were just on stage, we were in Nashville. I was up on the balcony of Nashville Zanies. And I was recording, but I was also just sitting there, you know, yeah. just like waiting. And uh, you said, I'd like to do that, but with jokes. <laughs> oh you like were so, you'd done so many shows in <laughs> oh a row. Nuts. You were like, I literally have to scream this in a different voice just oh to not God. go insane. I, I know that feeling a lot. It's, yeah. Where you just, you just want to explode because you've said something so many times. Yeah. You were like, I might do this in a really loud Italian accent for no reason because I need something for me right now. Oh, wow. That is embarrassing. It's interesting. Some jokes feel dated when I listen now to the album, and then some of them hold up. Like, this this one I still like. Yeah, I'm not good at drinking either. My friends will drink anywhere. My friends actually drink at the laundromat, and then I tried it, and I thought I was in a submarine navigating the sea of dirty panties with my Spanish-speaking crew. I was like, Mrs. Sanchez, set the coordinates to permanent press. Rita, the engines are stalling. Get me some quarters and another drink. This place is starting to look like a laundromat. Drinking in a laundromat taught me how to write jokes. And I also was like so eager to have a joke that was like that, that <laughs> was like a setting, um a premise, and then all these act-outs with other characters that you don't hear from. And just a whole, like, cartoon world created in one joke. I remember thinking oh, wow. that drinking in a laundromat, I was like, if I could... I, I thought, like, I want to have a joke that sounds just like that joke. Yeah, and what you did there is you, you, you did some jokes like that, and then you wrote a thousand that were better. Um, Which is a tricky move. No, they still, at best, <laughs> at best, jokes are, I think, well, look, all bits are different. But there's still, um, some of the best bits in the world are are the laundromat. Like that. Like what, yeah. what you did in that joke. And that was an early <coughs> joke. It was a really early joke. It's one of Which my earliest crazy. jokes. Yeah. You told me that, you told me about that joke in front of Healy Hall when you were visiting Georgetown. So oh it would have been God. like when you were first doing stand-up. That is insane. Was that when you I just opened? you said I have a joke right now and you just told me the joke quietly? Oh my god. Like at night. Cuz I remember you saying Mrs. Sanchez set the coordinates to permanent press and you were doing the joke for me and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's a real comedian." <laughs> Cuz I would have gotten up and been like, 
That's when you, you were. You know people drink in a laundromat? That's when you insane. were a freshman in college? Yeah, freshman or sophomore. You had, you told me it like, you were, it started off the way you tell someone a bit where you're going to do it conversationally. And then you realize you just <laughs> want to perform it because that's the best way to do it. You're like, I had this bit about um, drinking a laundromat. Well, it's funny. I was listening. And then it was like, I'm just going to do the full bit. There's something about comedy albums from a comedian's 20s, which the reason to listen to it (laughs) is not because of the expertise of the joke telling. Hilarious. But the insanity and, and sadness and loneliness of their existence at that moment captured. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, it's almost like, you know, the, the E story is like this. I went to a dance club the other day, which was timely. My self-esteem had been hovering around normal, and I had been meaning to knock it down to negative 1,000. This girl offered me E at the club, this drug called E. Uh, uh, she was like, you ever try this? I was like, I watch E. <laughs> She's like, you gotta do E. It helps you feel the music. And I was like, I don't even like this music. I don't really want to take the next step, you know? I'm not against enhancing certain experiences. Like, if someone were like, you gotta try this drug, it helps you feel the pizza. I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll try your pizza drug. Oh, man, I can feel the sauce on my toes. This girl I was on E, and she goes, you got to make sure I drink enough water because I could die. I was like, I didn't even want to be the designated driver. Now I'm the paramedic all of a sudden, and then I started thinking, what happens if she does die? Like, that's an awful conversation with her parents. Sorry about your daughter. I told her to make sure she drank enough water, but I totally spaced, and... And then I'm at the funeral, like, what do I say about her? I don't know anything about her. I'm like, she loved E! And she hated water. She seemed cool. I mean, she seemed cool. What's great about the E story is, you have to make sure I drink enough water or I'm going to die. And you know that that person is... Uh, that is a out-of-control, f- silly person. But you still want to fit in. I, that, that's the most interesting thing, is like the, the smart, funny Mike can make fun of these people, and then the other real lonely Mike wants to hang out and do E with them. No, I know. I mean, the, you know the part of the E story that never made it into the show because it didn't have enough fast jokes? Was that she died? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was Natalie Holloway. Oh, my God. No, it was... uh, Fucking panicked and threw it in the ocean. (laughs) No, it was... uh, That I... It was in Atlanta. I don't know if I say that. And it was one of these things where you show up. It's kind of like Chris Rock's movie, Top 5, where, like, you show up and the person who picks you up at the airport... Oh, this was on the road, the E story? Yeah. Wow. The person who picks you up is like, this is a party town. What do you want to do? You know what I mean? Like, Uh what are we going to do? And... (laughs) You know, I don't know. What are we going to do? Like, what is there to do? And then he goes, we'll go to a club. We get, you know, we could get rooms at the W downtown and throw some money around. Like, it was this really bizarre thing. Wow. I swear. Yeah, it's a, it's a bizarre part of the story. 
It was this dude who was sort of young and handsome and driving the comedians around. And we <laughs> we got rooms at the W, which we're, we're not the hotel they had be. Right, because you couldn't afford no, that. No, I couldn't afford that. And then... <laughs> And then we went to like a club and this whole, this woman who was like, you want to eat? Um, wow. I don't know if this is in the version on the album. I realized over the course of the night that I was like, yeah, I'll do E, whatever. I realized that she's an E dealer. Is that in the album? No. So I realized she's in, she's trying to sell me E. Oh, wow. Trying to sell me ecstasy. Right. And that reveal doesn't happen until probably three, four in the morning. So she this keeps is a, pushing this, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, let's do this. I'm like, okay, right, right, right. And like, <laughs> I gotta run and do blah blah blah. I'm like, okay, you know, like, it's like I have like a crush on this drug dealer who I don't know is a drug dealer, and she's like, I gotta meet my quota. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm and and I'm thinking like, I'm really falling for this girl. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Things are really clicking. That's really between really... me and this person I don't know as a drug dealer. Maybe I'll move here and I'll live with her. Here, yeah. That could work. Later that night, it's like three, four in the morning. I go, Do you so I'm gonna head out. Do you want to to um do E? She goes, No, no, I sell E. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not going, I'm working. Oh, I'm sorry. I sell E. Oh, was I not clear? Uh, I'm I'm trying to sell you E. I don't do it. I'm not an idiot. So, so I go back, kind of lonesome and alone to this, uh, and then my friend, my friend, the guy who was <laughs> showing me around. Oh my God, saddest moment of all. <laughs> saddest moment of all. Not even that you had the crush on the E dealer. That yeah. You said so. Then my friend. Well, wait. No, no, no. I mean the guy showing me no, around I know, town, like I that. Know. He he go. I go. I'm gonna head back. Do you want to head back? He goes. No, I'm I'm hanging out with this girl or whatever, some some other person. And then I wake up, so I go home alone to this w, fancy W hotel. I wake up in the morning and I knock on his door. He's a few doors down for me. And I go in and there's the E-dealer and the girl he was with. He had spent the night with those two women. And he was the guy that picked up the comedians. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, the weirdest uh, story, and I could, I told it a couple times on stage. I couldn't make it work for punchlines. Like, what's funny is the difference between if this was now, like, I that would be in the sh- one of my shows for sure. Right, right, right. And because I tell stories, they're longer form. The, the phase of Two Drink Mike was so much about set up, punch, set up, punch, segue, yeah. set up, punch. And it never fit that, but it's actually like a better story. I think that's a, a good story. example of like a great story that also makes a great bit, though they're different. Well, you have, I, I don't know if you're comfortable telling the story. If not, I will cut out, but um, you have that Mick Jagger story that, oh, yeah. from SNL, which is very much like that. Yeah, yeah. But I'll, I will say what the setup now is, is like people always ask, which I find very sweet and a nice thing about humanity. People's first question about everyone is, are they nice? And I don't think it's because they want to hear gossip and shitty things. I think people want people to be nice. Mm. So people were always like, well, you know, is Mick Jagger nice? And I'm like, no. You know? But <laughs> yeah. it's not that he's mean. It's that, like, it's also an observation just about adults and busy people. Sure. They're not mean, you know? Like, when you're a kid, you think every adult is so mean. It's like... No, no, they're just, 
they are living this pace. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, where I, I say like people, Mick, Mick Jagger plays to stadiums uh, every night where people scream at him like he's a god, and he has for forty years. So never again is he going to be like, "Hi, sorry, does anyone have a laptop charger I can borrow?" Like he walks in, he goes, "Yes, no, <laughs> yes." I pitched him a joke, and he went, "Not funny." Oh my god! <laughs> like to my face. That was so funny. No one's. Do you know how many people have actually not said funny. not funny? Like one, and it was Mick Jagger. Not funny. Not funny. Not funny. Oh my god, that's too much. Um, and so there's like a directness about the but that's like anyone. Anyone who gets so busy, like when someone has a kid, suddenly they're like, I get get the get the pizza. Like it's no longer <laughs> it's no longer like you go to their house and they're like, uh, can you pick that shit up and and and, and yeah. plug that in? And you're just you're running at that pace. So th- that's a bit of what the bit is about now. And that's how we've all become like with technology. We're like yeah. we drive around now and we go, call home. Yeah, yeah. And you go like calling the mobile for Tom and you're like, no fucking Tom. Not funny. <laughs> Not funny. See, this part of the story is just insane SNL talk. I was writing yeah. a parody song with Mick Jagger. Yeah. Me and him alone. You wrote on you wrote some of his songs in the 70s with him, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Until um uh at their Satanic Majesty's request. And then I was kicked <laughs> out of the band. Uh but you can still see me in some of those wide shots. <laughs> um we were writing a parody song and it it was in a, in a sketch, whatever. It was a comedy song. I don't think it even made it in. The point is, I was sitting... It was, a, it was a song about the heat, and it was called Gimme Swelter. It was called Gimme Swelter, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I can't even think of another pun. <laughs> I'm trying to tag it. I'm just sitting here frozen, <laughs> trying to think of a pun for Beasts of Burden. I can't. So I'll just... I'll stick with the real story. But the, it's a, it, was a, it was a song about... It was a spoof on coats. It was called Fleece of Burden. Fleece of Burden, yeah. It was a Patagonia ad. And he... That he loved. Everything else he said was not funny. No funny. Not funny. But I I'm gonna use that. He all was the writing time lyrics. With my brother. We were writing not lyrics. Funny. And he goes, let's all go to the picnic. Let's all have a drink. And he went, What rhymes with drink? And I said, think. And he went, No. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I said, sink. And he went, Yeah. Oh my God. And I was like, motherfucker, is this how you write songs? <laughs> like word by word oh with verbal abuse. Oh my god. Okay, when you announced me on the album. Yeah. I didn't know Mick Jagger at that time. <laughs> Nor in Mick Jagger's mind do I now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Joan. Hey, no funny. I'm going to throw to a, a track. One of my favorite, Which one? One of my favorite tracks is called Sympathy Card. I went to a funeral recently, and they handed out Kleenex at the beginning of the funeral, which I thought was a little cocky. You know, like... <laughs> Like, wait till you get a load of this funeral. You're gonna cry and cry. She's so dead. And I bought a sympathy card for the funeral. I find a sympathy card's kind of an underwhelming gesture in a way. It's like saying, I know you're going through the deepest loneliness of your entire life, so here's a picture of a daffodil. I hope that works out for you. That's why I want to make my own line of sympathy cards. Like, on the cover, I'd put a picture of a duck-billed platypus playing checkers with a rhinoceros and in the background there's like like a hot dog with arms like holding up a lemonade stand at gunpoint and you open it up and it's like the world is messed up man the other thing about sympathy card may i ask this yeah please on the road 
you said the world is fucked up. I know. On the track. This is important to talk about. This is important to talk about. Yeah, yeah. It's and, fascinating. And, and, and it's 2005, motherfucker. And I say mofo. Yes. I'll tell you what the logic was. The logic was, I was in this period of my life where my mom had sternly told me that she didn't want me, me to be a comedian, but if I were going to be a comedian, don't be a, a dirty comedian. Be a clean comedian. Yeah. I had that in my head. And then I had this sort of commercial aspect of it, which is, I knew that if I cursed on this, it wouldn't play on the radio ever. It would get the sticker, which this doesn't have. In the, yeah, and it would get the parental advisory sticker. And so I made, and I thought, oh, I only have four curses on the album. Let me just change them to other words, and I won't get the sticker and blah, blah, blah. I remember talking, you and I had a long conversation about clean versus dirty. It's made, changed so much since 2005. Yeah, I think it has. It's well, because in, the, of XM Serious and because of podcasts and because— And culture shift. And Netflix and the culture shift. is a little and, different. And I even think the Cosby thing makes people go, oh, well, if he's the clean one, yeah, what, maybe what clean isn't so good. What, what do you mean? Like, I mean, Cosby's the ultimate clean the ultimate comedian. comedian. Yeah, never cursed, never said a blah, blah, blah. And he was raping what? unconscious women. <laughs> that was a—sorry, the, the whole bit was The whole bit was you hadn't heard about it. But I also think that, yes, yeah, standards have changed a little. Um, maybe a lot. So you're right. I don't curse on the album. But, but I do talk about sex on the album. <laughs> Some people are very confident about sex. They videotape themselves, which I've never understood. After I have sex, all I can think is at least no one saw it. <laughs> That's why I get so uncomfortable when I watch this show. Uh, there's this show, Real Sex, on HBO. It's like this documentary sex show. It's like these unwieldy middle-aged couples like masturbating in a circle in a mountain somewhere. And I just know in five years from now, they're gonna come to their senses and be like, I wasn't masturbating on television, was I? Oh no! I didn't high-five penises with the instructor, did I? Oh, dear God. Real sex is a joke I love. Real that sex chunk, is insane. Real sex is scratchy voice. <laughs> OJ <Okay>. Doc. <laughs> because I remember you doing that and going, oh, of course real sex is ridiculous. Oh my God. How come he beat me, a 20-year-old dude? <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, Unwieldy middle-aged couples. Oh. Such a perfect description of those people. Unwieldy. They, they're unwieldy. What is your life? What are you doing here? Why yeah. are you letting the them roll camera? What's happening? Another track that holds up for me, actually, is No But I Heard About It. Technology's moving so fast. It's to the point you can make stuff up and people believe you. You can be like, have you seen the new Sony teleporter? People be like, no, but I heard about it. I end up saying that all the time. No, but I heard about it. It means I haven't heard about it but I like you. <laughs> yeah, nobody heard about it, you're right, has grown uh, in severity because in, the amount of things you have to pretend to know in this culture is so many. Well, now so it's many. that you also think you know them. That's right. Yeah. Like, that it, guy violated the Espionage Act of 1917. Right. I've been told. Where is the line, if I saw my parents at a party, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with them? I guess on Secret Journal Live. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite possibly one of the better <laughs> jokes ever told. About parents. And I remember my mom seeing, uh, maybe I was opening for you or she saw you live at, 
in Chicago. Yeah. And said like, that's that's kind of mean though to say about your parents. Oh my gosh, and I really? Was like, I was like, oh yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Your folks are so sweet. They they were very, when I was young, they were very accommodating. They, they had me over to stay overnight. It was very yeah, sweet. Yeah, you stay at our place. And I'm gonna, and I hope, and I'm going to invite them to the Chicago Theater Show. But they it was very to, funny. They came to the last one. They're, your they parents are like salt of the earth. Sea salt of the earth. They're a little they're fancier. Than, the they're a little fancier than salt of the earth. They're, they're like that pink salt you can buy from Hawaii or something. They're a little. They're there. But I I thought that was a very. I love the joke and my mom's observation about it was so sweet. My, I was home for Thanksgiving. My dad's always mad, but it's not about real stuff. He'll be like, "Damn it, I'm eating pretzels." Like, what's the problem? Why is he angry? I realized recently the reason he's angry is that old people are just angry. <laughs> old people are like, I used to be cool, now I'm shaped like a pumpkin. I'm going to play golf. <laughs> I was never afraid of my dad growing up. I was always af afraid of my friends' dads. Your dad starts going off. You know what he's capable of. You're at your friend's house and his dad starts going off. You're like, this guy's a wild card. He just kicked the dog. What do you think he's going to do to us? I remember I, the first time I saw my friend get hit by his dad. I couldn't even believe it. I was like, tough break for Sean. 15 minutes later, Sean was beating the crap out of me. I was like, I got to team up with Sean's dad. At least he's got some moves. <laughs> I'm always helping out my parents with their, their computer because I know that like if I'm not there, my dad's only tech support is my mom. And I can't even imagine what those conversations are like. He's like, what's a damn printer driver? And she's like, I made toasts. <laughs> Well, this has been really fun. Uh, we, I'm, we're wrapping up soon, but I'm here with John Mulaney, and I thought I, I would play one song. There's like a few songs on the album, but this is, this is my favorite one. This is called The Oatmeal Song. I, uh, I'm, a big fan of, I'm a big fan of music, so like when, uh, when I'm driving on road trips and stuff, I'll always listen to the radio, and I'll listen to Christian rock uh, by mistake. Because it always starts out as like a Bon Jovi ballad, you know? It'll be like, I woke up in the morning and I got myself some oatmeal and I put some raisins on it and Christ is God, Christ is God, 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 God. And I'm like, what about the oatmeal? I thought this was the oatmeal song. I feel like every religion should have their own rock and roll, you know? Like, there should be Jewish rock. Like, I woke up in the morning and I got myself some locks and bagels and I put some cream cheese on them and Christ isn't God. He's just not God. He's a really nice guy, but don't get carried away. I wonder what DC would be. 
what would uh, I guess agnostic rock. Like I woke up in the morning and I got myself some organic wheat puffs and I put some soy milk on them and there might be a god. There's really no way to know. He might be a fish or he might be a spoon. Oh man, that's a great point, Mike. Thanks, Mike. All I wanted was a song about oatmeal. This just came, of course, from driving thousands and thousands of miles early in my career and listening to the radio to whatever would be on. Yes. And you'd go through stretches of land in Iowa or Nebraska or wherever it is for hours and hours at a time where it's just Christian rock. Yeah. And you just go and, and you'd think like, that's a nice riff. That's a nice riff. Christ is God, 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 God. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is, and you know, some song, some of the songs are good. Yeah, they're good. I don't know if that's God's favorite music. Yeah, he's exactly. heard everything. <laughs> he like he he's heard saw like Mozart, you know. That's right. I don't know if he's like, yeah, my favorite band is Fields of Wheat, and I love their track, you know, God in the Backseat. I think that's the best. I think that's the best song ever written. During those drives, when you would listen to yeah. Christian rock, you and I heard on the radio one night on the road. I don't know if we've talked about it since. One of my favorite things that's made me laugh forever. It was a very conservative radio show host named Michael Savage. And we were driving late at night. Yeah. And he he was building up to the fact that he was about to play the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> and he went, I'm about to play this song oh. for this great nation. And then he went, no one's going to talk during the song. <laughs> no one talk during the song. And then he starts playing the Star Spangled Banner. After to no one at two in the morning on a highway declaring no one talk during the song. And the Star Spangled Banner starts playing. And he goes, put your hand over your heart. <laughs> put your hand over your heart. Not your, anyone, not your left hand over your right heart. Put your right hand over where your heart is. After setting the rules that no one can talk during this song. I have to say, like, this has been really cool. I really appreciate you doing this because it's, it's sort of an emotional thing, like, like pulling back and, and looking at something you made, like, 12 years ago, like when I was, when I was listening to it, I was, I was thinking like in an embarrassing way, I'm really sort of a sum of my influences at the time. Like I can hear like a lot of Mitch Hedberg in it. Like the, oh man, gabigaboo. There was a moment I thought was kind of a tell, but. Yeah, I think every, but I think every New York comedian in that era has a little a tell in them. As they should. As they should. He's one of the great comedians. And, and. I was watching Jamie Lee yesterday. Yeah. And same with the Rory Scovel thing. You know how you just need to be reminded of how it works? Sure. She just had like a hundred jokes in five minutes. And they just kept like, wow. they kept like, she had a tag for every moment yeah. of every part of it. Wow. It was just like, oh, right. These are supposed to be really good. Yeah, sure. And I like always, same, same thing, like the Rory Scovel thing was like, as I think we discussed, like, oh, yeah, whatever is really funny to you, do it. And watching her and listening to this album, I was like, yeah, you got to write the shit out of jokes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know set the coordinates to permanent presence. <laughs> it's still no. It's still to me that's like a, the that template. Be the, that should be the tagline for that. Set the coordinates to permanent, permanent repress press. and listen to two drink Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for uh, you know taking time out of your tour to to talk about this old album, and it was really uh, it was really fun to talk about. I'm going to close out this recording because I needlessly close out the album. Okay. okay. So one more time for Mike Perbiglia, everybody. Come back next week. We've got Pablo Francisco. And the week after that, we got James Gregory, the funniest man <laughs> in America, self-advertised. Also, if you haven't paid your bill, the blue slip gets handed to your server, oh the white slip you need for parking. Thanks for listening. Wow, that was John Mulaney, and uh, this has been the first episode of The Old Ones. If you like that, check out the other episodes forthcoming, subscribe or whatever. Um, all the tour dates are on thenewone.com. I've been to 20 cities so far. Thank you for coming. I'm heading to 20 more. Uh, this weekend, Chicago and Bloomington, then Charleston, South Carolina, St. Louis, Atlanta. In January, I'll be at La Jolla Playhouse in La Jolla, California, which is gorgeous. Like, it's really intimate, cool space. Boise, Salt Lake City, Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo. Some Canadian dates coming soon. Three Canadian cities I've never been to. Aspen, Colorado, Austin, Texas. All of these on thenewone.com. Also a big announcement about New York City coming soon, so stay tuned on that. I'll let you know. We're working on it. All of these are on the easy-to-remember site, thenewone.com. How do you get that URL? I think he spent a billion dollars on it. No, I didn't, but I'm going to sell it for a billion dollars when the tour is done. The Old Ones is produced by myself, along with Joe Berbiglia, Peter Salamone, Johnny Levin, Edited by Daniel Spaventa, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, associate producer Will Lupica, music by Roger Neal, that piano tune. He is great. He did the music for Don't Think Twice. Special thanks to Jack Vaughn, Mike Berkowitz, Isaac Dunham, my wife Jennifer Stein, iTunes, Dara Frank, Steve Raises, Comedy Central Records, Sirius XM, Steve Wilson, and all our friends at Apple Podcasts. This interview was recorded by Tom Effinger and Jeff Seeley at Red Hook Post. My biggest thanks to John Mulaney taking time out of his amazing tour, Kid Gorgeous, which is coming to Radio City Music Hall for an added sixth show. He will be performing exclusively Build-A-Bear jokes. All that on johnmulaney.com. See you out there, everybody. <laughs>